What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going. Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. We're your hosts, I'm Aram Layton, he's Jack McMullen, and we got the Milwaukee Brewers farm system to break down today. We teased it a little bit earlier in the week, excited to do that, but of course, we haven't recorded since Ellie De La Cruz debuted. Obviously, I think if you could somehow pull every single name that we've mentioned since the origin of this podcast, I would argue that Ellie De La Cruz is probably the most repeated name on here uh, he's our number one prospect in baseball it's cool to see a lot of people coming around to to having him at the top of the list too and a lot of people coming around to being excited about him so before we get into the Brewers Jack you I, I just want to get your thoughts because we haven't really talked about it like one-on-one in terms of just what you saw from Ellie De La Cruz in his first two big league games with the Cincinnati Reds it is unbelievably effing hilarious. Yeah. that That's my only takeaway from Ellie De La Cruz, because I think we knew that this was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Did we think that it was going to happen four or five times in his first two games? No, I didn't think so. Did you? Like, we knew that he could hit a 460-foot homer. Did we think that he was going to do that and put up the fastest home to third time in baseball and like eight, have a couple other batted balls over 110 in his first two games. Like what he has done in such a teensy tiny sample after doing everything he did in triple. And again, a teensy tiny sample. He was on the IL for the first three weeks of the year. Yeah. And, and started slow as hell because he wasn't playing baseball. So like it, it's crazy. Like people forget he was bad to start the year. Dude, like April was a moot point. May, he was the best hitter in baseball, regardless of level, when he was in triple. He gets the bump in the first couple days of June, and he has taken over the baseball world in 48 hours. People in L.A. are talking about the Cincinnati Reds. People in New York City with that horrible air quality, hope you're all right, are talking about the Cincinnati freaking Reds. What just happened in 48 hours? That's my takeaway. A hundred percent. And it's beyond Ellie De La Cruz in terms of the Cincinnati Reds. So like, it feels like he is just like, there was this pressure 
that was just building and building and building with the Cincinnati Reds when you have all these little exciting things, right? You call up Matt McClain. He looks really good. Spencer Steer hits his stride. That starts to get you excited. Andrew Abbott turns out a quality start. You're like, oh, it's all coming together. A lot of the other guys are performing. And then you just put in the atomic bomb that is Ellie De La Cruz. And now the the balloon of excitement has just exploded. And, and look, the, the Reds probably aren't going to make the playoffs. They probably are going to finish under 500. But this is such a fun team to watch now. And you can see the plan. You can see the potential. You can see everything coming together. But specifically back to Ellie, you know, he put on a show in batting practice. People were talking about how he hit like the, the stacks and in, in right yeah. center field there. Um, it, it's just something that I think baseball, you can't have enough of these type of guys. Obviously, he's cut from like a one of one type of cloth. But to, to have the Cincinnati Reds being the team that, that gets this guy, I think is so awesome as well. Is spreading some of the elite talent. There's going to be some hit tool questions, I think, at the big league level. And, and there's going to be bouts where he strikes out a little bit. He struck out twice yesterday. No one noticed that, obviously, yeah, no because he's hitting the ball so hard. So like, there's going to be some ebbs and flows. But I think that he is going to be so productive between the speed and the power. And, and the thing that I keep going back to is how many times we saw this guy this year. You look at some of the video. It's one of my favorite things that consistently tweet out on, on my personal account is home runs where Ellie thought he flew out. And – it's happened at least four times this year. Think about how much that's going to happen in great American ballpark. And it's not about the fact that he thinks he flew out. It's about the fact that balls that Ellie De La Cruz does not hit well are going to get out of there a lot. They're going to get out of there a lot. He's going to hit his 465s, but he's going to hit balls off the end or off the fists that get out of that small ballpark, which is why I think in this situation, he has a chance to, you know, if it all clicks, hit 50 home runs. Like, that's so, the craziest part. He He's the number one candidate, I think, besides Acuna to be 40-40, as we talked about in the last, a couple episodes ago. But I also think that this guy has the potential to hit 50 bombs in that stadium. And again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. This might take a few years because, he, again, it, it, a big part of hitting that many home runs is the hit tool as well. Yeah. But with the improvements we've seen from the right side, like people are talking about you know how the right-handed swing was so far behind. It's a lot closer now. And that really raises the ceiling for me, too. Yeah. And that's the thing, man. Like your friend and mine, Taylor Davis, who is is part of the Just Baseball Network. You know, he's huge on O'Neill Cruz. Understandably so. That guy shared a clubhouse with O'Neill. I mean, he sees him at the complex every year. He's so impressed. And obviously, you can see Ellie De La Cruz and see so much of O'Neill Cruz. Like mm-hmm. those are the two alien life forms along with Otani that we've got in baseball right now. And Taylor is adamant that O'Neill Cruz at some point in the next handful of years is going to have a 50 homer season. I think O'Neill and Ellie are, are kind of same deal where like yeah. you can point to them, say, I think a 50 homer season's coming and I can't laugh you out of the zoom. I cannot no. laugh you out of the conversation because these are freakazoids. I mean, they are built unlike any other player in baseball history. And they do things on the field that are unlike any other player in baseball history. I'm, I'm really kicking myself because, you know, we, we had him ranked in the top 100 way back. And it was cool to see people you know, chatting us out on Twitter, like just about old write ups that they dug up or old conversations, which, yeah. was, which was really fun. Uh, but but the thing that kills me is he didn't have a Bowman Chrome card uh, until pretty late because he was a sixty five thousand dollar international free agent. And they usually give it to, to the expensive guys. So. 
I was just waiting and waiting and waiting to buy his card. And by the time they made a Bowman Chrome card for him, but by the time he was in packs, he was already a big deal. His cards were too much. Uh, but I, I imagine that his card market must be skyrocketing right now. And, and the, the story of the kid who caught the ball, getting the picture with all of his homies, that was super cool. Uh, the last thing I'll say on Ellie, I, I've heard nothing but great things about the makeup. You see the cockiness on the field. I don't think that's cockiness. I think it's a guy that's confident and having fun. It doesn't come off in a way of like uh, uh, showboating or rubbing it in. It's I'm having the time of my life out here. And I'm showing it. And that's it's even different than Tatis. And I always supported the Tatis outward emotions, all that. To me, it's even different than that. It's it's more of I'm a kid having fun. And we talk about how how good that is for baseball. There's never been more buzz in Cincinnati. Ellie de la Cruz, I think, has all the goods to be that next face. Obviously, you got to produce. I think he's going to. He's going to have those highlight reel plays that kind of break your brain. He had the one where he gets from first to third on a shallow single to center to Adam Duvall. Wasn't like some, you know, 18 year old, 19 year old in the minors that just was like misplaying it. And then shortstop looks away for half a second. He darts home. This is a guy that kind of breaks the game of baseball. You're not supposed to be this athletic and this long and this tall and all these things. So all I, all I ask of our listeners is watch this guy play baseball, take it in, have some fun. Cincinnati Reds baseball has never been better, I think. Or it's obviously been better. Has not been better in the last few years. Uh, and, and I think it's very exciting right now with what they're building there. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Ellie before we get to, to the Brewers? Yeah, a couple things. It hasn't been more exciting in the last couple of years, for sure. Like, I'm, I'm counting down the hours until I can turn on the next Cincinnati Reds baseball game. Coming full circle, um, yes, it was exciting when McLean got brought up. Yes, it was exciting when Abbott got brought up. That might have been one on the 10 scale compared to how excited you were when Ellie's up. And like I'm getting texts from people that do not watch Cincinnati Reds baseball saying, look at De La Cruz, man. Like, this is crazy. Nobody's talking about Matt McClain like that. And that's not a knock on McClain. That's he's just been a great. testament to. Yeah, he's been great. Like, it's just a testament to how much stuff the Reds have coming. And they just called up the golden ticket man in Ellie De La Cruz. Um, last thing, haven't bought. Um, a card on so rare yet haven't bought a collectible on so rare i think the cheapest form of ellie de la cruz might be my first so rare purchase whenever huh. that is available i'm for. really interested once they add his card on so rare uh what that price will be because obviously when you buy the card it's it's yours as long as you want to keep it you can plug it in your lineup forever uh but you can also sell it as he gets better and better. So it's 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 almost like dynasty fantasy in that regard, where you can use him next season and the season after that in your fantasy lineup. So I could see his card going for a lot, but I agree. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pony up and do it. That also is a great segue before we get into the, to the Brewers lineup here to check out the link in our description. You can join our we have our own so rare league where you can draft your team for free, compete with us uh, in fantasy baseball every single week. And win prizes. Uh, you could win Ethereum rewards. If you make a limited lineup, you can win just baseball merch. If you win in our competition in our league and you can continue to win cards on, they give you cards back. If you finish really high and continue to build out your lineup and get better and better, it's free to draft your, your common team. And if you really like it and have fun, I like, like me who is very bought into it, you can start buying those limited cards and entering competitions where you can win other limited cards Big time rewards and exciting things as well. So check out that link for So Rare MLB in our podcast description. A lot of fun. 
and would love to have you guys join us. It's been fun seeing you all DM me some of your teams that you've drafted as well. Always happy to answer any questions as it pertains to so rare and as you build out your team, uh, especially if you want to make a limited team as well. So let's get into the Brewers top prospects, Jack. Um, This is a talented system at the top. I feel like it's common to say top heavy and, you know, people like to say that about a lot of different systems. Every system's going to be top heavy, but this one is probably a little bit more top heavy than others. And we'll kind of get into that. We're not going to do as much on the names to watch because there's really just not that many names to watch that we loved. It was honestly hard to just to fully build out a top 15. So we really built a top 10 and then highlighted some names to watch. I'm going to hit on a couple names. You're going to hit on a couple names. And then we're going to jump into the top 10 prospects for the Milwaukee Brewers. One name to watch that I wanted to highlight is, is Freddie Zamora because he's a shortstop who he's had a tough go in his professional career thus far from the respect that he had a chance to play himself into day one consideration when he was at the university of Miami, shorthanded shortstop was swinging it well. And unfortunately he, uh, tore his ACL in practice and that really hurt him. He still was able to go early and still actually was a day one guy went second round 53rd overall in the 2020 draft, but it was just kind of a unfortunate slew of circumstances there. Then he got hurt again last year. I should mention he put up a great year in 2021 between low A and high A absolutely mashed between those two levels and is a slick defender at short. Then was hurt last year, only played 24 games and struggled. Now he's back at double A, 117 WRC plus. Not something you're writing home about, but again, it's the Southern League. It's tough to play there. He has seven stolen bases, five home runs, and he's a very good defender. He's a plus defender at shortstop. So if he's a slightly above average bat and a plus defender, for me, that's that's a potential big leaguer, a potential big league utility piece. He adds above average wheels. I think this is a solid prospect at 24 years old. And I do believe Zamora is going to give you a big league time and be a good bench piece that if you have to plug him in as an everyday guy, there's a shot he might hit enough. If not, he's a good glove first bench option. Freddie Zamora is a solid prospect outside of the top 10. Yeah, he's probably a subdued version of Bryce Terang, right? Mm-hmm. What they got from Terang, level it down a bit. And then you got Freddie Zamora. Yes. I love it. Okay. I've got, I think, five names that I want to run through here. Yeah. First one is a name that like, could sound a little gimmicky, but Noah Campbell, and, and I know a lot of people remember Noah Campbell in 2021 as a guy that played all nine positions in a game for the Carolina Mudcats. Like, you know, he, he's kind of that guy. He's the position player pitching, but this guy's been good at every stop. He's a 780 OPS guy. He's always going to hit high 200s. He's always going to have a high on base in the 380 to 400 range. And the defensive versatility, like, it's not just a gimmick. This guy can play first, third, second, left, right. He's dabbled in center. He played short in 2021. He can play anywhere. This guy, if he truly like continues this, he's in AAA Nashville now. I think he can be a utility guy. And it's like, hey, wherever you need somebody, as long as it's not catcher or pitcher, this is your guy. It's, it's weird, Ben, because I agree with everything you said. This is a thin system and they've given him a little bit of the org guy treatment. Over Which the they shouldn't be doing. He's the best Which, org guy in baseball, if that's the I, I th- And I think he's starting to hit his way out of that designation, especially when you look at the rest of this system. Also, it's a small sample size, but I, I need to continue to watch these double-A 
Southern League hitters as they go up to triple and see what what changes. He was putting up good numbers through his first 33 games in in the, the Southern League. Four home runs, 139 WRC plus, but he was striking out 26% of the time. Now through his first eight games in AAA, striking out just 17% of the time. Small sample size, but interesting note there. See if, if, if a lot of guys see their strikeout rate drop pretty significantly when they go from the tact ball league to AAA, which should never be the case. But you look at the numbers through 41 games this year, he's been great. And at the end of the day, it seems like he's kind of playing his way out of org guy situation. There's guys that they wanted to get more consistent at bats and double A. So they bump him up to triple and challenge him. And so far he's risen to the occasion. So Noah Campbell to me is, is in that 10 to 15 range as well. Even though I think fan just put out their top 40 prospects and Campbell wasn't one of them. I was surprised to see that he just turned 24. He's a switch hitter with all of the things that you brought to the table there in regards to Campbell. He hits the ball hard too, 104 mile per hour, 90th percentile. I think this guy could absolutely be a utility piece at the big league level with the way he can play all over the diamond as well. But again, I don't think the industry likes him because he's been stamped as that org guy. So if mm-hmm. there's somebody that's going to lead the charge to get Noah Campbell out of that designation, uh, it'll be Aram and Jack on the call. up. Yeah. I, he was also the best hitter on the Cape in 2018. So I've mm-hmm. always like kept tabs on Noah Campbell. He OPS over a thousand in 32 games. The guy hit 365. Like I was yeah. so impressed. Um, he was a shortened draft casualty. He was at South Carolina. He was in the Mervis cut, right? Like he was sixth round pick, probably seventh round pick. And it was a five round draft. So Campbell, you know, signs as an undrafted free agent and goes. By, by the way, to totally miss this <laughs> double header yesterday, he in the second game of the doubleheader went three for four with two bombs in AAA, six RBI. There you go. So that'll take care of the the the, the designation of org guy, I think. There you go. Um, yeah, and then a couple other young guys that I've got for you. I'll work through them quickly. Daniel Guiarte is a guy that has experience at short, third, and second. He's on the IL right now, but he's 19 years old in low A. 69 games between the complex last year and low A this year hitting 299 with an OBP over 400, and he's got 24 backs. He's got no pop, yet to hit his first pro home run, but he's fast. He can play three spots in the infield. That's impressive. Edwin Jimenez, a right-handed arm, 21 years old, great slider that we were looking at. Fastball, Mm -hmm. not where it needs to be yet, but the slider is probably good enough to carry him to at least a bullpen. No doubt. Real quick to chime in on that, as only guy I'll probably add much on. He throws a slider more than his fastball. I, I think he's probably going to end up being a reliever, but I do think that that's going to get him to a big league bullpen. He's 6'4". It's a tough release point. He throws that slider a ton, lands it for a strike 72% of the time, and opponents are hitting 132 against it with a 51% K rate. That pitch will get him to a pen. Yep, and then a couple of 20-year-old right-handers in low A, Patricio Aquino, Dominican right-hander, and then Alexander Valesio, who uh, I think is from Nicaragua. Um, but those are both 20-year-old guys with better command than you would expect, and, and the counting stats look great for them. Um, and those are guys with, I mean, a, a time on their side, like 20 years old, and they're excelling in low A. Valesio is, is on the IL right now, uh, but it's a seven-day. It's not a 60-day. Um, so we'll see how those guys continue to progress. Aquino, another really good slider, uh, but I think more potential with the fastball and the changeup. So just turned 20, definitely a name to watch. The, the Brewers do kind of well in Nicaragua, which is interesting, which kind of leads us into number 10 here 
as those who are watching on YouTube will be able to see us kind of pull up some of the video, pull up some of the write-ups. And if those who are listening, you can also follow along on the write-ups with video on with the link in the podcast description. So check that out for sure. But we go right to number 10, who is Carlos Rodriguez, right-handed pitching prospect in double A. Out in Nicaragua, he actually pitched for Nicaragua in the World Baseball Classic and was really impressive and, and rose to the occasion on a big-time challenge. And that was what really put him on my radar. Um, you can see in the, in the video here, for those who are watching on YouTube, this guy's changeup is going to determine pretty much how far he goes. It's an interesting pitch mix because it's a slew of them, but really the only plus pitch is his changeup. He's got a fastball, a slider, a changeup, a cutter, a curveball. And I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty deep bag, but all of them are kind of fringy. The changeup I have as a plus pitch potentially better than that. Fastball plays up a little bit, even though it's 91 to, to 93, because he comes at you from a low vertical attack angle. So that helps. And, and also just a little bit of sneaky life on it. The slider has flashed average and I think could be a good big league, good enough big league third pitch. If he can command it better, the shape's pretty good. He just doesn't command it great. And then he added this year, this cutter, which has not been effective. If you look at it from the total sample size, like the, the opponent batting average, they've hit pretty well against it. But when he locates it, you can see the potential for an average fourth pitch. I also think that he's using this cutter to not be so change-up heavy against lefties because he throws the change-up 46% of the time against left-handed hitters because he likes it better than any other pitch, understandably so. He's starting to use it more against righties, but I think it just gave him another look. And then he sprinkles in this below-average taste-breaking curveball. But it's always nice if you don't have a second-plus pitch, have a bunch of average pitches or close to it. And that's what Rodriguez has here. He varies his looks. He knows how to pitch. He seems like a guy that can just kind of get out. We like to compare a lot of people to Javier Assad. This is another guy that's kind of cut from a similar cloth. But Rodriguez has an elite changeup, which can take you very far. So a couple of follow-ups here on Carlos Rodriguez. Command, you've got a huge disparity, 35 to 50 here. Um, The reason I go here is because his walk numbers are up a walk per nine at double A this year compared to any other spot in his career. So I feel like you may be a higher grade if he were not in double A with these tack baseballs. I think his command is going to get a lot better without these tack baseballs. You you beat me to it then because that's basically what was baked into this for me. I, I probably could go with a 40. It's just I feel weird giving a 40 present command to a guy who's walking because walking yeah. there's a chance that he's also nibbling a little bit because when the changeup's not there and that's the problem. And I've even talking to some of the hitters that he's faced in that league. They're like, man, when the changeup's on, he, he's kind of got you like he you have to play to his game. But when the changeup's off. He has to play to your game as the hitter. So when the changeup's not there, hitters feel like that they're in control. When the changeup is there, he's in control. He's in the driver's seat. And I think part of that is is a little bit of the command in general. But I do think when the changeup's not there, you see him nibble. And when he's on, I mean, he struck out 11, 12 guys this year. When he's yeah. off, he's gotten knocked around a little bit. So I think some of it's attack balls and then some of it's a little bit of nibbling with confidence. But I, I really do feel like he's struggling to adjust to the baseball. I was just listening to something our our friend Kevin Burrell had a great tidbit in a conversation he had with Yuri Perez and asked Perez 
why he's not throwing the change up as much so far in the big leagues. And Yuri said, it's such a feel pitch for me. And I'm using a very different baseball now. So I just don't feel totally comfortable throwing the change up. Rodriguez change up guy. It's been there for him, but that could play a part in it as well. Okay, so that tells me to buy stock in Yuri as soon as he starts throwing his changeup more in yes. big league games because he's got the feel for the changeup, and that adds the best pitch in his arsenal to his arsenal. Um, for Rodriguez, how much do you think the changeup is affected? Do you know how changeups are being affected in the Southern League? Because that is a lower spin pitch than your fastball and slider. I feel like these baseballs help the fastball slider guys way more than they help the fastball changeup guys. Yeah, it's interesting. There's, I would say there's, it depends on what kind of changeup guy you are uh, yeah. because the guys that are those side spinning changeups, I think it can benefit them in terms of nastiness, but it yeah. can affect you in terms of location. So I think Rodriguez is getting more movement on it, which I'm, it's not taking anything away from his changeup for me because he dominated with the changeup last year. I actually almost think it helps him in terms of my outlook because I think he's just struggling to land it because it's moving so much. I've yeah. seen guys with that kind of spin have a little bit more horizontal movement, but if you look at it, I'm actually comparing it right now. Jack, it's about the same. 17 inches of horizontal last year, 17 inches of horizontal this year. There's okay. a little bit more vertical movement on the changeup. So I, I just feel like he's been impacted in terms of just the the feel for it consistently because the ball is doing things that it just didn't do as much before yeah. across his arsenal. They're all moving a little bit different. So I think this is a kid that's just adjusting to the baseballs. But when he's on, I mean, he has been fantastic. So I think there's a chance for a back end of the rotation starter here. Yeah. I think that this is a kid that knows how to pitch. He varies his looks, as I mentioned. And part of that is the reason why I think he uh, is getting this aggressive assignment as a 21-year-old in double. And I, I like this pitcher. I, I do think he's going to be a nice little piece here for, for the Brewers. Dude, I can't wait to be done with these stupid chemically tacked conversations. I was going to say, we probably should have mentioned Justin Jarvis too, right? Because Justin Jarvis, he's 23, and he's pitching well in double A. I know that he's seen his stuff tick up big time with with the with the ball, but he's 23 with a 2.54 ERA in double sure. A. So Justin Jarvis, probably another name to watch, a guy that's definitely pitching well with these baseballs and looks like he might be figuring himself out a little bit. Sure. I'm just done with these baseballs. July, mid-July is what I've been reading and hearing. So hopefully that'll be when we can get out of these conversations about the stupid baseballs. And I know GMs and executives are voicing similar frustrations, which is the irony in all of it. Yeah. Number nine, Abner Uribe, a rare reliever in the top 10. And I wouldn't say it's an indictment on the system, I'd say it's more of the upside of Abner Uribe uh, because this dude has big league closer stuff. Again, for those who are watching on YouTube, look at the slider here that he throws to Nas Nunez. Just just ridiculous. He can throw it to lefties and righties because you're going to wave at it if you're a righty. If you're a lefty, that thing might hit you as you swing at it. It's that kind of sharp. His fastball is 99 to 102, 103. The shape isn't as good as you'd expect, but it doesn't really matter because it's just so hard. It got hit harder last year. This year, the shape has been better, and it's had a little bit of this like turbo sink to it, even though it has a four-seam spin. It's really weird. I, I even reached out to some of my buddies who are catchers in the, in the minor leagues who analyze pitch profiles all the time, 
And they were saying the fastball movement in terms of what it gets horizontally and vertically is pretty much borderline outlier. So the fastball is a weird shape. He just rips it as hard as he can. I think he would benefit more from having that backspinning carrying fastball, but he's so erratic that I, I don't know if he can really control it that much in terms of how it spins off his fingers. But put simply, it's an elite fastball. It's an elite slider. The command is non-existent, but it's improved slightly. And if he can even have 30-grade command, he will be a big league reliever, high leverage, and potentially even a closer. He's a firecracker. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I've gotten down the rabbit hole after you told me to get down the rabbit hole of Abner Uribe. And uh, obviously the fastball and slider are nuts. Like they could both be 75 grade pitches, um, which is like I when I when I think about this guy, I think of Brian Abreu with, with mm-hmm. Houston. Abreu is like calm, cool, collected. Like I love watching Abreu throw in high leverage moments for the Astros because he just nuts up and gets outs. Um I think that's probably like Uribe, but he would like to tick up on that with the fastball. Like Abreu is 99 to 100 with a crazy good slider. Uribe can be 103 with a crazy good slider. So almost like Doval, I guess. Um, But he wears his heart on his sleeve a little bit more than a lot of these high leverage closers. Yeah, I've been I've been watching a lot of Uribe the last few weeks. I would say the body language on the mound and the way he carries himself is not the best. He's 22. He's going to be 23 in a month. He's, you know, you want your relievers a little crazy in terms of like intensity and, and fire. But I I do think that that plays a part in, into some of the meltdowns is he doesn't get a call. He's very demonstrative. He, there's definitely some, some poor body language, that's going to have to be shored up to be a big league reliever. You just got to be able to, to be more even keel and steady. Cause you're going to get hit at some point. Like you're going to get you have a blown save. How do you respond? A hundred percent. What I will say though, is he hasn't been tested much in that regard over the last several outings. I think his last five, he's come in, struck out a pair, struck out. And you look at the last five innings where that's his last five appearances, nine strikeouts, two walks. That's big. That's really big there. So hopefully that's a sign of, of the command kind of getting better and better for him. His last three outings, no walks. That is huge for him. He, I don't know the last time he's really done that. If he's somebody that walks 12%, 11% of batters, he can get away with that. Yeah. There's a lot of good relievers that walk 12 11% of batters. 16 17 18%, that's going to be a little too high. Fastball command has been pretty good. I'd say fastball control has been pretty good this year. Slider has been tough to locate for him. It could be the baseballs or could be other things at, at hand there. I really think that hitters are just not swinging at it because you're, you're going to let him locate the slider three times. And if he does that, you tip your cap. I think guys are trying to just sell out for the fastball and hit it. And even then 44% in zone whiff rate on his heater. It, it's just ridiculous. If he can tweak that to have a little bit better shape, he could be one of the better relievers in major league baseball. So hopefully he can find a way to, to get a little bit better shape on the fastball. But I think he's already on his way to doing so this year. And averaging 99.5 miles per hour on it is just crazy. Yep. Moving on to number eight. And I think this is where the system really you start, kind of shifts to another, another gear. Or you could maybe make the case that it's a guy after this. But this is one we've talked about a lot. And I've definitely been disappointed about uh, or di- disappointed from this year. 
but you can see flashes and you can see it potentially coming together. Robert Gasser, left-handed pitching prospect, triple A, just turned 24. It's been an up and down season, even in the early going for Gasser, but I would say the last two outings have been his two best of the year. He was really good against Charlotte, really good against Jacksonville. Um, Fastball is above average, but plays up from this ridiculously tough three quarters release point. He hides the ball really well. And from hiding it at that release point, it gets on you quick and it takes off. So even though he's low 90s, as you can see in this video, he's low 90s, but it really is tough to pick up because of the way he stays closed. It's a little bit Trevor Rogers-esque, as we had some people mentioning in the replies when I posted a video of him with that release. And the thing is, is he should be able to use that to his advantage. It should be a tunneling nightmare for hitters. And it was last year. But his command has been iffy in AAA pretty much since he got bumped up. And really ever since he was traded in that Josh Hader deal from the Padres over to the Brewers, I do wonder, and I know you have your theory on on the command here and, and why he's had some of those command struggles. Part of it is obviously going to just be, hey, the zone's a lot tighter in AAA. Part of it's going to be hitters are more disciplined in AAA. Those two things go together. You're going to walk more hitters. But I do wonder how much confidence he has in the rest of his arsenal. I see a lot of confidence in the fastball. I see a lot of confidence in that cutter, which some will will read as a slider. It's a cutter to me. But I don't see much confidence in the other pitches. And even so, the fastball and the cutter just haven't been there command-wise over the duration of this season, though in the last couple starts they have, not a coincidence, that he has pitched a lot better. Yeah, he got stung by the long ball for the first time in a long time in Jacksonville, and that's where the runs came from. So you look at like, hey, seven innings, four earned. That's not one of his best starts of the year. It is because the command was there and he went seven innings. Um, His best start of the year, without a doubt, was in Charlotte, which is as hitter-friendly a ballpark as you will find, not in the PCL or in that Texas league in AA. Um, Charlotte is a bandbox, and he went seven shutout innings with nine Ks and no walks. He was freaking awesome. I want to compare the usage in those two starts because, like, two best starts of the year. But before I do the usage, real quick, Seven of his first eight outings, he had a long relief appearance sprinkled in there. So just consider it a start if you want. Seven of his first eight starts, he walked three or more guys. Hasn't done it in his last three. He walked one, he walked none, he walked two. So if he can limit those walks, I feel a lot better about Gasser. The other thing I would feel better about is if he had a consistent mix and it feels like he's struggling to find a consistent mix. Yeah. You said some cutters are reading as sliders. He's got some four seamers that read as sinkers and vice versa. I don't know if they're two different pitches, but they're being tagged as two different pitchers as two different pitches, but I'm just going to walk you through usage because he has like a six pitch mix, right? (laughs) And these pitches are anywhere from 25% usage to 10% usage. In that dominating outing against Charlotte, he went in order of most used. Cutter, four-seamer, curveball, changeup, sinker, slider. Last start against Jacksonville. Slider, sinker, four-seamer, curveball, changeup, cutter. There's no correlation there whatsoever. It's so hard to establish a rhythm when you can't develop like a good plan of attack when it comes to pitch usage. 
I I said, and you know, I, I kind of stand by this theory. If Gasser was two iterations of a fastball and two iterations of a slider, so if he was four seamer sinker, cutter slider, I think he probably has the same ERA that he does right now with six pitches. I yeah. think like if he can figure out any way to simplify this pitch mix, that could actually bode pretty well for him. Yeah, so I yeah, I think you you hit it there really well. And to to build off of that, what I would do, and again, there's probably more qualified people that are gonna be you know, putting their two cents in this with Gasser and working with him on this, but I'd phase out the changeup. I watched back the last few starts. That changeup's just not very good. I'd love to see a changeup. We talked about Trevor Rogers and how good his changeup is because of that release point and stuff. I'd love to see him have a changeup. It's just not there for me. I'd rather see him throw that sinker more. I'd rather ditch the, the changeup for the sinker. That That is a legit sinker. That's that's not like a mistagged pitch. I'm looking at the the difference in designation here. Uh, the, the pitches tagged as four seamers have eight inches of horizontal. The, the pitches tagged as two seamers or sinkers have 16 inches of horizontal. So, so that that that's legitimate. Four seamer plays up in the top of the zone from that release point. We know that. That's been his bread and butter. I, and also for clarification for those that are following along on video, I have his slider. I know it's confusing. His slider, like that, what's labeled in uh, what would it be, baseball savant as a slider savant. or in the portal. To me, that that's a curveball based on the shape. And the pitches that are registered as a slider, is it's a cutter. Think about it. He, he throws a fastball at 92 and his slider's 88. That's a cutter. And it's yeah. short and he commands it well. It, it moves like a cutter. And some of the other systems I've looked at, I think TrackMan has it as a cutter. But that that aside, the cutter is a really effective pitch from that release point. And we saw Jamie Moyer make a living off of that, throwing him at 83, 82 yeah. at age 44. He throws it at 88. That's a pitch that can be a force to both lefties and righties. Fastball will tunnel off of that. And then you've got more, more sweep with the breaking ball. It's, it's a slurvier breaking ball. I think the two fastballs, the slider and the cutter, I agree with you. That four-pitch mix, he throws more strikes. He has a little bit better of a sequence and a feel on what he's doing, and I think he will be a very solid pitcher with that. Phase out your worst pitch, the changeup. Have better command with the pitches that you're more comfortable with, and let your four-seamer eat a little bit more. Have more confidence in it, and I think that's exactly what he's been doing. And it's been cutter, four-seamer a lot more over the last four starts. I think if he tweaks his usage – and the command continues to, to kind of go along with that, he could be a number four starter. I think he's more likely an average five starter, but I think there's a chance that he could be a, a, an average four starter. Yeah, I mean, we saw it, right? In that deal with San Diego, we totally saw that he had the chance to be a four or a three. Like, we were thinking three, right? Because the fastball was so freaking good last year. So I would love to see him still be a three. Um I, I think if he honestly hammers out the command thing and those like three, four walk outings are a thing of the past, he could be in the Brewers rotation in July because they're without Woodruff and they're yeah. dealing with so many other issues. Like the Ashby injury hurt really bad. Absolutely. And and, and the guy that can locate the cutter from a tough release point, I, I fall in love with those type of dudes and those type of those type of pitchers. I, I I'm really excited to see if he can continue this momentum. But I'm I'm definitely encouraged by what we've seen the last few starts. Yeah. Moving on to number seven. This was, this was a tough guy to rank because the bat is so good. The glove is pretty non-existent. Um, and the bat has kind of changed in terms of the way that we look at it. 
Tyler Black checks in at number seven. And power-wise, he's added juice. He was viewed as more of a hit-over-power guy in the past. And with this big leg kick, you'd expect there to be more whiff. There's really not. He's He's been a great bat-to-ball guy at the lower levels. He's whiffing more this year, as everybody is at that level. But he's also walking way more, and he's also hitting the ball way harder. 104 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity is a big jump for him. 863 OPS is good. The approach is great. He's chasing at an 18% clip. So there is more whiff, but with that has come more power, more patience, and more lifting the ball in the air. Seven home runs this year is way, way more pace-wise than we've seen from any other year from him. I think that's already the most he's had in a single season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's 22. He'll be 23 by around the All-Star break uh, or a little bit after that. The problem is he doesn't have a position. They tried him in center last year. He broke his fractured his scapula laying out and already looked kind of shaky out there. His arm's below average. They've tried him at second. He didn't look right there. They now have him at third. I don't think he can play there. I think he's a third baseman slash first – or excuse me, I think he's a left fielder. Like that's where I'd like to see him. Even though the arm's fringy, I think you can hide him in left or he can play first. And the bat could carry enough weight to play first, but it would put more pressure on his bat. Ultimately, I'd like to see him try second again or play left, but I don't know why they're keeping him at third. Regardless, the bat is is where Tyler Black is going to be able to carry himself to the big leagues. And he'd be a short first baseman too. And like, I only want short first baseman if the power is prodigious. You know what I mean? Like, he just, it kind of fits into that bucket. Um, I would like if he figured out second base or left field just from a, you know, stereotypical second base or left field standpoint. Cause this guy's strong as shit, man. Like, he's got a frame on him and he's using that frame right now. You mentioned seven homers. Yes, the most by three of any other level that he's had in, in professional stops. He had seven his freshman year at Wright State. He had 13 his junior year at Wright State. He's using wood, and he's going to pass up his, his junior year total. Uh, he's played, what, 44 games so far. He's got seven. He had 13 and 48 games at Wright he State. He just has three triples. Yeah, triples is best. Um, the thing that jumps out to me, 26 for 30 in the stolen base department. That's That was the last wrinkle I was going to add. He's... I think hit the weight room with his lower half. Victor Mesa Jr. was talking about that on the podcast about how he he was really focusing on adding strength that way and ended up getting faster. I don't know if that was a concerted effort to get faster and get quicker, but Tyler Black looks quicker and also looks way more confident on the base paths. He's efficient and aggressive on there. That really does help take a little bit of pressure off of the bat. At least if he doesn't have a position, he's a factor on the base paths and he walks that does really help the profile. This is a very high floor bat. Mm-hmm. Very high floor. It's just they're going to need to find a position for him. I think it's interesting that he's exclusively played third this year, so they're going to keep trying that. I really don't like third for him with the arm. I do think that his footwork has gotten better. Clearly, it's gotten better on the bases. I think that's made its way to, to the field as well. Let's see some second again. I would like to see some more action at second base. I but guess with – Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, I'm looking at the big club, too. And what's the plan here? Like, Luis Arias, I think, has two years of arbitration left. Adamas, they could ID as an extension candidate. They may want Willie Adamas in a Brewers uniform for a long time. It's short. 
Um, you know, you got Terang playing second, although you think and I think Terang is a good shortstop. So if Adamas does walk, then Terang could play short or they could but he has been struggling. Up. Yeah, like. I don't know. I, I think they could look at it and say, OK, we're probably not going to extend Urias. So in two years, we're going to need a third baseman. Jace Peterson already walked. Maybe this is where he well, slides in. That's an excellent point also, because the, the Brewers, I think they're, they're very confident that Tyler Black is going to be a big league bat. They look at the outfield situation. They don't need another outfielder no. right now. And it's best for the Brewers organization if Tyler Black can play third base. So from that lens, that does make sense to keep trying him there. I hope he can develop into an average defender there. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I think it's very unlikely. So we'll see. But maybe he can at least be a utility guy in the respect that he might not be good anywhere, but he's passable at a bunch of different places. And the bat carries. We move on to number six. This was a guy that I think I came away most impressed with when we did when I did the dive. Like going in where I was kind of labeling him versus where I came out after watching all of the video I could possibly watch. I saw him a little bit in person on the Cape, but had not seen him live since he's gone pro. The glove of Eric Brown Jr. has gotten so much better. And just across the board, he looks like a really well-rounded player. First round pick, 27th overall in 2022. And I mean, the, the field of hit is spectacular, which is wild because – Again, going to refer to the video here. Look at where his hands start. Yeah. He actually starts with his hands in front of his face and the barrel of the bat in front of the brim of his helmet. Slowly drags his hands back to kind of create that rubber band, that tension as he sinks into his back leg. And it works. It, it You can't refute it because 90% zone contact. He's hitting for average. The power is not there. And that's going to be the biggest question. How much juice is in there? 100, 100 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. But when you have a plus hit tool, the defense at short really impressed me. I thought he might be average there, slightly above. His arm is, is average, but his footwork's incredible. His actions are great. He gets the ball out so quick that it takes some pressure off of the arm, and he's comfortable throwing from every single angle. I mean, this guy's really confident. He will whip it down low. He is super, super, super confident in the field, and also another guy that has just leveled up the base stealing. He is a factor on the base paths, actually a menace at this point on the base paths. It's it's average or better tools across the board except for the power, and I think you can hope for average power here as he continues to fill out a little bit. So right now he's putting up – the lowest OBP that he's had in any stop in his career, any year in college, not on the Cape, two spots last year, regardless of games played. Like I'm even talking the ACL for four games this year, the lowest OBP of any stop in his post high school career, 367. <laughs> That's a really good low point. No BP. Yeah. The other one is aside from Katuit, when he hit 282 with a 375 OBP, Eric Brown has the lowest difference between batting average and OBP of his career, 266 to 367. So you know at his quote-unquote worst, he's going to have a 100-point jump from batting average to OBP, and he's not going to hit 220. So you feel good about it. Other thing that jumps out, this dude is 41 for 45 in stolen bases in professional baseball. Yes, the setup is weird, but he walks a lot. He takes a lot of pitches after that barrel comes from in front of his head to, to his back shoulder. And when he does get on base, he's a threat to go. 
you told me to dive farther into Eric Brown Jr. And the thing that I took away from Eric Brown was this guy's just really fun to watch play baseball. And I think baseball needs more of those guys. Weird stance. Kids are going to want to mimic his stance in the backyard. He runs really well. Uh, He can play the field like really well, I think. Um, And I mean, this guy like has, you know, just enough impact to, to be a fun guy when he's in the batter's box. It's funny. I think now we're going to compare all these types of guys to Bryce Terang, but this is also very similar. Not as elite defensively, but really good. If you move Brown, because I think a lot of people looked at Brown as a candidate to move to second, he'd be a, a gold glove contender, I think, at second. He's a good shortstop. And you know, if you have a better bat there, if Adamas gets extended, obviously you, you defer to the better bat and he plays second. But Brown could play third. He, I, the arm, I think, is good enough. The approach is great, as you mentioned. 11% walk rate this year, 20% chase rate. He's going to get on base. When you pair a good approach with 90% zone contact, that takes a lot of pressure off of the, the power tool, too. And it's not helpless. It's not like he's a 30-power guy, like we're someone we're about to get to. But the field to hit is, is good enough, and there's enough juice where he can go gap to gap. And as you see, this home run off of Cade Horton. The pull side power is sneaky average. That might be just enough, but if he can tap into average power, I think this guy's a high probability big leaguer because of all of the other complementary tools. And you can't really poke a hole in his game otherwise. So I'm excited about Brown. I'd like to see him hit the ball a bit harder, but he gets the ball in the air enough. He finds the gaps. He doesn't strike out and he walks a ton and he steals bags. That's a really fun and safe profile for a 22 year old in high A. And I think he should be up in double relatively soon. Next up is a strong top 100 update candidate guy that we're hearing more and more about. A lot of people are starting to get excited about him. Luis Lara outfielder in low a, he was a $1.1 million international free agent, 18 years old. And he is putting up good numbers in low a, I I just really like watching this guy. And it seems like the brewers do a good job of finding these ahead of their years prospects that they can just aggressively assign. Luis Lara, definitely well below average power, but it's not as, as ridiculous. It's not 20. It's not as ridiculously low as you'd expect from a 5'9", 18-year-old. I do think he can grow into potentially 40-grade power, which is going to be more than enough for him because his bat-to-ball skills are insane for an 18-year-old in full-season ball. 92% zone contact, 17% chase rate, to have that approach already as a switch hitting 18 year old in low A is stupid. His instincts are phenomenal. I love watching this guy play the game. He is so comfortable in center field. I think he can be a plus defender out there. He's an above average runner. So I don't know if, if base stealing is going to be a major part of his game because he, he's it's it's really closer to average than plus. But his jumps, his reads, his routes are great in center. I think he sticks there. He has a great arm for a 5'9", 155-pound guy, 160-pound guy. And I do think that there's enough juice to find the gap, similar to Eric Brown. But this dude's hitting 302, 436, 349 as an 18-year-old in low A, Jack, as a switch hitter in center field every day. Yeah, I like that he's not selling out. Like He's he's doing what he can do with his frame as an 18-year-old. And, I mean, you've got 5'9", 160 here as the listed weight. Like I truly think that's the listed Height and weight, five nine one six. He's a small guy, but I don't care if you're hitting this well. You're not striking out at all, and you're walking enough. Now, I would like for him to run a little bit. He's a very low efficiency base dealer. Yeah, I would like for him to run a little bit better 
or not run at all. Um, but he's been statistically good in center field. I mean, you, you've seen the reads a lot more than I have. You've seen the jumps a lot more than I have. Um, but it's the hit tool that jumps out with him. And like, if he's going to be this flawless of an offensive profile without power, if you're looking at a leadoff guy, I mean, this is kind of it. Throwback player, but I, I do think that there's enough bat speed here. The bat speed's impressive to me. Where he could sneak out a few home runs a year and and be that that kind of guy that just has enough where you have to to think about it. Hundred mile per hour, ninetieth percentile is 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 not bad. He's eighteen. You figure he's going to grow in to a little bit more muscle, a little bit more strength, and and tap into just a little bit more power. But what stands out is twenty four walks, thirteen strikeouts. Yeah, like, that's yeah. crazy. He sprays the ball all over the field. He makes up for the lack of of juice with the ability to just consistently hit line drives. His line drive rate's ridiculous, doesn't whiff. I, I don't know the last time I've seen an 18-year-old with 92% zone contact through 130 plate appearances in full season ball. This is a really exciting talent. And while it might not be off the charts potential with tools off, you know, going crazy, staying power in center, switch hitter with a potential 70-grade hit tool, maybe even a little slightly above that, like sign me up for that. I'm a big fan of Luis Lara. Realize we got to update the little thing there. He's a switch hitter. Good swing from both sides too. Very consistent from both sides. Lara is going to be a guy that I think you'll see jumping onto a lot of top 100 lists soon. Number four, another just crazy arm that I think is not getting enough attention and definitely the highest upside arm in the system by a wide margin, the best arm in the system by by a good margin. Jacob Mizorowski, right-handed pitching prospect, just got promoted to high A, which is good timing. We've talked about him a little bit already as somebody that is right on the cusp of a potential major breakout. And I got to reference the video again for those folks on YouTube. And if you're listening and you can click the article, do it right now and watch this Mizorowski fastball. Holy crap. It just takes off. He sits, he's six foot seven, and he sits in the upper 90s with his fastball up to 102 and it's from a low release point for such a tall guy at six foot seven he gets it pretty low down there and allows the fastball to just take off out of his hand he was a second round pick in 2021 over slot guy fastball easy 70 slider is nasty just bite late sharp in in the mid or excuse me, in the 90 to 92 range, and then a mid-80s power curve that flashes plus as well, and he mixes in the occasional changeup. Mizrowski's nasty, Jack. So shit's going to move like a blitz ball. When you're built like that, when you're 6'7", when you're lanky, and when you have that sort of crazy delivery, right? Like he almost goes inverted W to just like flailing at the hitter. I have no idea if I was in the batter's box, if I could pick up when the ball is coming out of his hand. Because he's so long, it's so unorthodox. I feel like this fastball, especially if it's 99, sitting 98, 99, is just on you right away. The swing decisions are impossible. And you see it here with his low A lefty bat. Like, I mean, he is so late to get a get a hack off on this fastball. That's going to be a common look. My worry is I feel like this guy may come out of himself really quickly. You know what I mean? Like I think that he could have some outings where he doesn't have a landing spot and he doesn't make it out of the first inning. 
because it's such a complex, high effort delivery and the pitches move like blitz ball. Yeah. But when it's on, it's, oh my gosh, you're on right now. And that's the thing. If, if the Brewers can get him to the point where the command, I mean, you look at the command, we've got him at 30 grade right now. If he can develop average command, this kid could be a frontline kind of arm with, with, with average command. It's, it's still in CSS with, with average command. Yeah. So that fastball to be able to get that kind of, of low vertical attack angle, I, I can't get over that at six foot seven really allows it to play up too. And I think that that fastball is going to be a big whiff pitch at every single level in the upper nineties with the extension that he gets to the combination of low release extension and velocity could make that pitch a borderline 80 if he commands it better. And then the two breaking balls can just be devastating. And they're different enough speeds. You get that hard slider in the low 90s and then that power curve in the mid 80s. It's it's a glass now type of arsenal, which is interesting too. And I think that's not a, a horrible comp either in terms of if it, if it all clicks and it all comes together. You can see even from the clip though, he's very erratic. You talk about the landing spot, it's inconsistent. He's got very long levers. There's a lot to control here. Yeah. But there's been flashes already of him controlling it. His second to last start in low A against down East, five innings, no hits, no walks, one hit by pitch nine case. That's, yeah. that's what we, I mean, that's in there. It's in there. I, I love that you bring up glass now, because I think that's a guy that he can learn a lot from because glass now is kind of the gold standard of repeatable mechanics for a six, seven, six, eight guy with really long limbs. Yeah. Glass now is like, He's the perfect candidate to not have any idea where his arms and legs are going because he's built like that. But he does. But he does. And that's why he's a Cy Young candidate whenever he's healthy. So I, I do hope that Mizorowski can find some simplicity in the delivery. But I'm also OK if he doesn't because it's what makes him so unique. And it's what makes 101 play up to probably feel like 106 or 107. It's got to feel just, it's just unfair to those low A hitters unfair one of my favorite prospects in baseball and a guy that is we've talked about a ton and is really looking good in double jefferson caro catcher in double a he has been awesome on in every facet i i love every aspect of this guy's game minus maybe the approach that could be better he's 20 in the southern league right now and he's also hitting 262 with a 500 slug. So it's kind of hard to, to tell him to, to hone it in and, and swing less. He is chasing at a 44% clip, but he's mashing baseballs. Defensively, he looks as advertised. The receiving is fantastic. The arm is good. He's kept the run game pretty, pretty well in check. And he looks like one of the more well-rounded catchers now in the minor leagues. But the bat, he has not really missed a step here as he jumps into this difficult league as a 20 year old, the power's there. He's putting bat on ball. 84% zone contact for such a free swinger is pretty crazy. And he's hitting the ball hard. Like this is one of the better catching prospects in baseball. Now And we've been talking about him since I got to see him in the Arizona fall league and really fell in love. This is just a great all around catcher. Who's the better Carol Jefferson oh. or Edgar. Actually, Jefferson, according to baseball reference. Jefferson, Carroll. Jefferson. Man, I think Jefferson Carroll is the the more well-rounded catcher. 
Edgar is a better bat, I think, long term, at least bat to ball wise. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Jefferson Caro. I, th- I think Jefferson's a better Caro. Okay. Um, because of the glove, it's just so good. Yeah, the clips that you were sending me of Caro receiving and throwing to second base, I was like, holy hell, this guy's so advanced. You've got a 2025 ETA. William Contreras is there through 2024. You think that Caro could be, and I don't think they would move him, but do you think he could be a guy that, you know, almost beats that 2025 ETA? Yes. Or no? Yes. Yeah. That 2025 ETA I made at the, at the beginning of the season. And I copy and pasted those, the the height, weight, side, you know, all the all the things that don't change. I put that into the, the Brewers top 10 here. That is a good catch because he's already performing in double. Why wouldn't you want to see him in triple relatively soon for all of the reasons that we've been talking about with that Southern League? And he's aggressive, but he's hitting everything. So I'd like to see him in, in a place where you can encourage him to, to be a little bit less aggressive with his tighter strike zone and, and challenge him to, to work with more advanced pitching and better right. arms. Yeah, and the internal conversations would probably have would probably give us a better idea of like how long he's going to be in double. Um, I think you got to ask some of his pitchers on that staff in Biloxi, like how he's doing, how their interactions have been, like how he calls games, that type of thing, um, before you give him the bump up. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's there for actually a couple more months. Um, I've realized you just got to work so slowly with catchers, man. Yeah. Like it was jarring how quickly Edgar Caro got to double for LA, but with catchers, like it feels station to station. So, you know, while it feels encouraged that he may get the bump to triple, it may not be necessarily imminent. Yeah. 33% caught stealing rate. Very solid uh, because there's obviously more factors at hand. Some, some pitchers on that staff are, are slow. I can confirm to home plate. So he looks good there. Edgar Caro, from what I was told too, he, he got, bumped up because they loved the coaching staff for him there in Rocket City and wanted to challenge him. Jefferson is solidifying himself, especially some of the other catchers graduate as one of the best catching prospects in the game. Uh, and, yeah. and I really do believe that this guy is going to be, we, we said in the beginning of the year that he'd be on every top 100 list by middle of the season. I think he is now. And I'm going to take it a step further. I think he'll, he'll be top 50 on everybody's list by the end of the season. Whoa. Okay. I really do believe that. Got to calm down on the approach a little bit. That's just the one thing. Yeah. Go to number two, the guy that's unfortunately on the shelf, uh, but should be back, I think, very, very soon. Sal Freelich, he's been hurt. What was the injury again? I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what the injury was, but he should, it shouldn't be much longer. He was – I don't know if he was trying to play through it or what it was because he was not – playing to the level that we are accustomed to of Sal Freelich. And you can't say, oh, it's because of triple. He was dominating triple last year. And actually, right before the injury, he had a three for five game with two doubles. So it's unfortunate timing there. He's been out since May 18th, but should be back relatively soon. One of the safer bats, we've talked about him a ton on here, is 70 hit, 70 run, good defense, and enough juice. That's the thing. Is, I think people look at him, the way he hits, his frame and all that stuff, and say, oh, you know, this is this is a non-existent power guy. He will sneak enough home runs out of the yard. He had 11 last year. Yes, some came in a hitter-friendly Biloxi, but plenty came, plenty of extra base hits in a very pitcher-friendly Nashville. 
And then when he gets to the big leagues, it'll be back to more hitter friendly. I think he's got enough power to mix in eight to 10 home runs potentially, which is more than enough, plenty of doubles. And the, the field of hit is just spectacular. 88% zone contact that got above the 90 mark. Once he got to triple great approach. I think he's going to keep getting better in the, in the stolen base department, but the dude flies. He's just such a fun player. So six to eight weeks, thumb surgery, a torn ligament in his thumb. He was hurt on April 18. Oh, so, April, excuse me. Uh, he should be back in. He should be starting a rehab probably in a week, and that rehab should probably last a week, and then he'll be back to AAA in two. Um, brutal coincidence. I didn't realize this, that Freelich hurt his thumb the same night that Garrett Mitchell separated his shoulder. Oh, what a tough so, day. Yeah, that's a brutal day for the Brewers when you look at this gluttony of outfield depth and two of them go down on the same night, probably within an hour of each other. Um, but Freelich, yeah, so it's a thumb thing. I wouldn't worry about it, and he'll be back in two weeks. Slow start, 15 games. It was cold outside. Don't place much stock in that whatsoever. Um, Freelich is like, okay, so you look at this young trio of outfielders, right? Weimer. High volatility, tons of pop, tons of speed, can swing and miss a billion times over the course of a week, but then can be awesome over the course of a week. Sal Freelich is like quant, like it's going to be the same yeah. thing every game. Garrett Mitchell's somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Having all three of those guys in a turnstile with Christian Yelich holding down left field, like that's fun as hell. Super fun. And, and the number one guy waiting in the wings here. Yeah. Swinging strike rate is 7%. Like he's not even really fouling off pitches he should be hitting. Like he, he squares balls up. He really does. He can spoil and he's good at that. The, the only thing I would like to see get a little bit better with him, and I think this is the, the, what we saw maybe a little bit of the struggles was, was were this year. He demolishes fastballs. He has no problem. He hit nearly 400 against fastballs last year. So they started spinning him more and more and more. And with his flat swing, which is a big reason why you make so much contact. And I'm not saying change your swing plane, but with the flat swing, it can get hard to, to lift breaking balls, sliders, change-ups, curveballs. And last year, 60% ground ball rate on secondary stuff, and he hit 228 against secondary stuff. So you can make a living crushing fastballs and being slightly below average against secondary stuff, especially when you're as fast as he is. But that's something I, I'd like to see maybe letting – the secondary stuff travel a bit more, being able to use the whole field a bit more. And I think he, he had the tendency to roll over a bit too much on the secondary stuff. And they were spinning him a bit harder and a bit more frequently in the early going of this year. But this dude slugged 475 last year, Jack. Yeah. With that kind of bat to ball skills, 400 on base, slugged 475. He's going to hit a lot of doubles, a lot of triples, and just enough home runs, I think, to be able to produce enough of a slugging impact where he's not just all slap compared right. to and, you know, what, 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 what some people might expect. Yes. No, I mean, like, I think a lot of people, when they see Sal Freelich, when they see the build and when they see, you know, just the, the typical counting numbers, you may expect, oh, like a, he's going to slug 350. He's a single sitter. I don't think he's a 500 slug guy or a 475 no. slug guy at the big no. league level, but I think he can be a 400 to 420 slug guy at the yeah. big league level. Yeah, which with, with everything else you're getting, that's, that's a great outcome. That'll be yeah. a really good player consistently. Number one, no suspense here. There's a guy that I think has as much excitement around him as any prospect in baseball, especially after what he did last year. And he early in this year hit this walk off that was just a total laser, got out in half a second in Biloxi. Jackson Chorio, outfielder at the double A level, 
Talk about an aggressive assignment, almost unprecedented to see someone as young as Chorio at the double A level. He was 18 at the start of the year and, and was 18 last year when he got a, a cup of coffee at the double A spot. Yeah. Aggressive. And that's been part of the issue for him. I can't imagine being so young and also having to deal with, you know, the, the testing situation in the Southern League and also just being able, having to deal with going to double A period as a just about to be 19 year old. He's holding his own now. So far this year, 251, 305, 419 slash line. But you've seen the flashes, eight home runs. A big reason why I think the OPS is, has been knocked is he's not walking. And that's okay, but he's not striking out that much. A 24% strikeout rate for a free swinging power bat at the double A level at 19 is not bad. The approach, I think, is only going to get better because he's so quick to the ball. He has more time to make decisions. I do think that the approach will steadily get better. And there is just the challenges that come with every fastball having more carry in this league right now. Chase rates on fastballs are up across the board in this league. 724 OPS in Southern League is above average. So to be above average offensively at his age, I think is, is, is impressive. I don't look at him any differently than I did going into the year in terms of a top 10 prospect in the game with, you could say, quote unquote, struggles in the early going. I think he's already showing us a lot of what he is capable of. Cool. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I don't have much to add on Chorio. I, I can tell you that based on the narrative around the industry, you would have thought this guy had a 1500 OPS last yes. year as an 18 year old. I, yes. um, I think that he was overblown a little bit. Yes, I agree with that. But he's stupidly talented. So that that's the thing, man. Like when you have a guy this young with this much power, this much speed and this much, um, I, I guess, comfort defensively. You can dare to dream, and you can dream on some serious things. I'm not going to stamp and say Chorio's a 20-year-old big leaguer that's going to hit the ground running like Ellie De La Cruz has no. because I don't think he will. But he is an incredibly impressive guy that is a very young 19 years old that's handling double A with blitz balls very well. I agree. And that was the one thing when we heard conversation about Chorio was like, oh, could he be baseball's next top prospect? A lot of people were saying he will be baseball's next top prospect. Like, I have James Wood, you know, Jackson Holiday. I think I'd even go Marcelo Meyer. Because the results him. are better. That's the thing. Like, the, obviously, what he's doing at such a young age is impressive, but it's a 900 OPS. Like, let's not, let's yeah. not get too ahead of ourselves. I, th- I right think now. people got very excited because you look at a player that if it all clicks, it's it's 70 speed, 70 power and above average field to hit. <laughs> that's, sure. that's crazy. 107 mile per hour, 90th percentile for his age is off the charts. So da- he's a data darling hitter. We talk about that as pitchers. He's a data darling hitter. His yeah. potential is, is perennial all-star. It's, it's Acuna esque. So for that reason, I think people got very excited and that would probably be the, the comp is, is something along the lines of, of Acuna ceiling. Also, Acuna was was knocking on the door of the big league spot, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty soon uh, at this age, which is crazy. So I think he's a, a notch below those generational guys, but he's clearly one of the 65 plus future value prospects in the game, which there's only about seven, eight of those that we're going to rank. So he's definitely a top 10 guy for me, but he's not that generational talent type of guy. The glove, while good. I don't know if it's as elite in center field as, as some may have hoped, 
but yeah. the power has just really impressed me this year to already be producing a 107 mile per hour 90th percentile to already be hitting balls 111 miles an hour what's this guy going to look like when he's all physically matured it like, look like what, a what is his offensive ceiling acuna yeah and i think that's the comp 83% zone contact is great in this league as well for him really excited to see chorio continue uh, and, and i'm really Interested to see how he adjusts as the year goes on, because if that approach gets a little bit better, I think we could see an explosion from him in the second half. That'll that'll do it for this Milwaukee Brewers farm system rundown reminder. You can check everything out in the write ups in the link in the podcast description. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Look out for more content very soon. If you're listening, please leave a rating. Help us grow the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be back with more Team Top 10 soon, Top 100 update coming very soon, and more conversations around the minor leagues. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you early next week. 